Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Caliber. Richard Sennett joins us today from Schroeder's to give his views on China, inflation, and whether dividend growth can ultimately keep up with inflation in Asia. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Richard Sennett, manager of the elite-rated Schroeder Oriental Income Fund. Thanks for joining us today, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with China. Could you maybe just talk us through the troubles there and the impact that might have on wider growth for Asia? Uh, yeah. Um, so at the moment, the, the Chinese um, economy is being impacted um, by a series of, of COVID outbreaks, as you know. Uh, this is on top of, of a slowdown last year, which was uh, being driven by a weak property market and increased regulation um, of, of many industries. Um, China has obviously staked a, a lot on its management of, of the pandemic uh, and is one of the few places left uh, pursuing a zero COVID policy. Um, unfortunately, the combination of a more easily transmitted Omicron um, and a relatively low level of vaccination uh, in, in the very elderly, um, despite actually having a, um, a high level of vaccination in the wider population, has meant that we've, um, we're having to resort to a series of rolling lockdowns to control the virus. Uh, and we've all seen coverage of those um, in places such as Shanghai, for instance. Um, this is obviously hitting growth um, via consumption uh, as people spend less, but differently from the first lockdowns in, in 2020, it is also hitting production uh, with manufacturing factories temporarily uh, suspending uh, production and having to close. Um, so this, this means that we're seeing many supply chains disrupted, uh, uh, and this is not just in China, uh, but globally. Uh, the, the possible question to answer, of course, is how long uh, will this last? Uh, but whilst China continues with this zero COVID um, policy, these, these rolling lockdowns are, are going to, to continue and this will continue to impact on, on growth. Um, it should be said to try and counter this. We've seen some more easy measures coming out from the authorities uh, recently, which should go some way. Um, to um, easing um, that growth slowdown. Looking outside uh, of China, the, the, the knock-on is likely to be felt by companies that obviously export to China, um, either to serve the domestic um, market or to assemble um, product to export globally. Here, I'm thinking mainly of the Taiwanese and Korean companies, um, they're obviously big manufacturers of electronic components and, and, and semiconductors, and they will obviously uh, potentially get hurt by this. Um, the other obvious area that could be impacted um, is demand for commodities. And, uh, and here the producers, uh, such as in Australia and in Indonesia, um, are, are potentially hit, hit if we do see a, a big slowdown. Um, overall, though, uh, what I would say is that um, although we are seeing a slowdown in, in China, it is in part being um, uh, offset by the recovery uh, that we're seeing in, in global demand that has been coming through as Western economies have, have opened up post-pandemic. And, and just turning to your portfolio now, obviously, um, you currently have most of the portfolio invested in companies in developed Asia. Could you maybe tell us why and is developing Asia not as attractive, perhaps? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the case. What I'd say is that, I mean, you're right in that if you sort of look at it, how I suppose, um, you know, we think of developed markets or how at least MSCI 
define them. Um, we'd say that you know just over half the portfolio would be in in, in developed markets, and they would principally be Australia, um, Hong Kong, Singapore. Uh, and of course, these areas, which traditionally have been very good from a sort of a, uh, for a hunting ground from a from an income perspective, mm-hmm. um, and um, in particular, you tend to find some of the more attractive financials and materials names uh, coming out of the um, coming out of um, coming out of those markets. So, for instance, Singapore and Hong Kong banks. Um, we think should benefit from sort of what's going on from an increase in rates perspective, as well as um, as well as um, as uh, as credit costs coming down. And so I continue to like that that, that area um, in in and in materials. Australia um, obviously gives you quite a lot of exposure to some of the better quality resource names. Um, that have been generating very strong free cash flow yields and uh, record dividend payments. We like we like those names, but I have been trimming some of those more recently, just simply because um, they have done um, done very well. Um, so that's the sort of rationale, if you like, for that sort of being in some of the more developed areas. When we're looking at the sort of emerging, the principal sort of area of underweight there has been really towards China. Uh, and that's because it, from a bottom-up perspective, it's been quite hard to find um, names that um, I particularly like at the moment. And and we sort of talked about some of the sort of macro difficulties with, with China as well at the moment, you know, from an economic standpoint, but also um, over the course of the last year or two years, there's been a, a whole increase in sort of regulatory scrutiny on some of the sort of internet names there and so on, which also has sort of weighed on weighed on sentiment. So from an emerging perspective, the sort of focus of the portfolio is more on the sort of careers and Taiwans of the world, where, where um, uh, along with some of the sort of smaller ASEAN markets like, like Indonesia, um, Taiwan is a good sort of market from an income perspective, even though it's got sort of, uh, you know, over half the market is is information technology. Um, The companies there generally have got good corporate governance, have got um, decent payouts uh, and so on. Uh, And so we continue or I continue to to like those names as well. One of the sort of emerging markets where I'm unlikely to have much exposure in is is in India, and that is just really because there isn't much in the way of um, of yields on offer from from companies. So it's quite far, hard to find sort of income ideas there. And so currently, I don't have any exposure to to India within the fund. Um, okay, and um, just from a regional perspective, I believe the last time you spoke to us, you, you felt Northern Asia was well. You said Northern Asia was outperforming Southern Asia. Is that still the case? Uh, it's been quite a change actually over the course of the last year or so so um, you know so China in particular and I guess you know we've talked a bit about China here and some of the problems that it's facing and and that has meant that it has underperformed the the rest of the region uh, quite quite uh, quite significantly and so it's enough to drag it down on its own (laughs) yes exactly so given its weight it has sort of dragged it down on its own um, and the other thing that has happened is also that we've, from this sort of, if you like, North Asia versus South Asia, some of the ASEAN markets, this sort of thing, has been the sort of rising um, backdrop um, of, of rates going up and a bit more inflation and so on and recovery has meant there's been a bit of a rotation in the market um, away from um, some of the, the growth names towards more value value names um, and in particular away from some of those growth names that are perhaps 
um, companies which are, are loss-making at the moment and the growth is very far out into the future. Those ones have been impacted particularly uh, hard, um, whereas some of the companies that have got more earnings visibility uh, and nearer-term earnings streams um, have done better. And, and some of those names are some of what we describe as some of the more old economy areas, you know, like those financials names that I mentioned earlier. And and you tend to get a higher weighting of those in some of the um, ASEAN markets. And so those sorts of uh, areas or that area has, has started to do better vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, North Asia. You, you mentioned growth and value there. Obviously, that's tied to what's going on all over the world with inflation. Um, in terms of inflation, is it as big a worry in Asia as it is in the West? Is, are there any different nuances to it in that part of the world? But there are one or two nuances. I mean, I think, you know, from an Asian perspective, there's a couple of things go, going on. I mean, there's, there's obviously the direct impact um, that you get from inflation through rising commodity prices. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the whole of Asia in aggregate is a sort of net importer of, of commodities. So price rises going through there um, do feed through and they have a macro impact in that they impact the external accounts of, of countries. So the trade surplus, for instance, will, will come is likely to come down. Uh, but also from a from a micro perspective, for when I'm looking at companies, clearly input prices are going up, and and that means that you're likely to see a sort of squeeze in in profitability of some of these names. So so the key for us when we're looking at companies is to try and find companies that have got um, pricing power and so are able to pass through uh, price rises. Um, to their to their customers and so uh, so maintain uh, profitability and and so on um, and um, uh, and so that is a clearly an important factor and at the moment you know there is pressure more broadly as there is globally on 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 earnings companies that cannot do that um, the area where I think is slightly different from a sort of an Asian perspective versus the West has been more around labour wage rates, where there hasn't been so much in the way of wage inflation. And I think that's because, you know, they haven't seen in most Asian countries what we've seen in places like the US, where sort of labour participation rates have, have gone down a lot, you know, the Great Resignation or whatever, you know, where people have withdrawn from the workforce, that hasn't really occurred and so um uh, and so you haven't had this, some of the shortages in the labor supply that you may have seen elsewhere um the only other thing i would say about sort of inflation and its impact um is clearly there is a sort of secondary round of impact that can come through from inflation which is more about the impact uh, that it has on um on on incomes or real incomes as as input as as you know, the cost of living goes up. Um, clearly, there there is a pressure on people's ability to spend on other items, and and you know that does have a, an impact, whether it be you know in in the West or in the US or in Asia, on the ability to uh, buy extra product, which potentially is manufactured in in Asia. So there is a there is a sort of um, an impact on on consumption um, from clearly from rising um, input prices. And specifically on the portfolio here, and I appreciate you have to put your optimist hat on or your pessimist hat on here, can, can dividend growth ultimately keep up with inflation in Asia as it stands? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly one of, one of the great attractions of sort of equity um, income is that, you know, it's, it has this ability to to grow, which obviously you don't get in fixed income. And um, that is obviously dependent on, on profitability. And I think that... Um, 
there the clearly, uh, you know, if, if there is some protection that you can get from from um, from inflation through um, owning um, those equities, of course, you know, it depends a bit on the rate of inflation, which um, and the speed at which that inflationary pressure comes through. Because as I was describing, you can get a short term impact from um, from a sort of squeeze before you can pass on those rises in commodity prices. But th- there is definitely scope to partially off- offset that rise in inflation through, um, if you like, dividend growth through higher profits. Is that is that a company by company thing? Or could there be specific sectors where that's more likely? I think it's a bit of both, but um, some sectors, such as resources and energy names, will, will obviously benefit from rising commodity prices. But it's actually quite often dependent on the companies themselves. You know, in some companies where they've got their uh, particular niche or a particular area of, of speciality that they're able to push through prices more rapidly. Um, and, and that add than, than perhaps may otherwise be the, be the case. Often companies that have got, um, you know, quite often, you, you, you know, even a company that sells consumer products and you think you know, there's not much pricing power there, clearly it's very hard for you to push through a price rise, which is just simply um, I'm going to put my sticker price up and you're going to have to pay more for the same good. But if you spend a lot of money or uh, through time on R&D developing new products, as you develop those new products in consumer terms, you can design the new pricing structure in and, you, and you're offering a better product than you did before. And therefore, you can um, start to, uh, to, to get back that sort of um, pricing uprise in raw materials through, through better pricing on your top line. So, yes, there, there are definitely companies that are better positioned than others to do that. And just lastly, and I appreciate inflation fits into this to a degree, what would you say the outlook is for, for dividends in Asia over a three to five year view? Yeah, so yeah, dividends did come under a bit of pressure during uh, COVID, um, along with the, 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 the rest of the world. And this did impact the, the dividends coming out of, of companies. We've now started to see earnings recover quite uh, material during the course of last year. And you know, hopefully we'll see earnings growth continue this year. And um, that generally is a is a reasonable backdrop for dividend growth. And and what I would say is that the way to think about it is sort of in the medium term, that the sort of dividend growth should be roughly uh, able to grow in line with that that earnings growth. Um, the other thing which sort of gives me a bit more sort of uh, which I like about Asia. Is and gives you a bit more confidence around some of the sort of dividends. Is that you know in general Asia is an area of the world that, from a corporate perspective, is less geared than than other regions. So the the, the corporates have got less balance, debt on their balance sheets, and 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 that means that um, as rates rise, there's less pressure on those um, those companies. Also. Um, the payout ratios at the moment, so that's the amount of the profits that they pay out as dividends, is is not particularly high, um, either in an absolute or a sort of historical context. And so that means that there is a bit of ability for companies, if you like, to defend uh, dividends if, if things um, get, get a bit tougher. That's great, Richard. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you.
The Schroeder Oriental Income Investment Trust aims to provide income and capital growth primarily through investment in equity and equity-related securities of Asian companies. The trust is named a next-generation dividend hero by the AIC for increasing its dividends for 15 consecutive years. To learn more about the Schroeder Oriental Income Fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.